Well, good morning. I've never done this, right? I'm leaving my hat on because we bald guys struggle with this wind and cold more than, than our, uh, our friends who have been blessed with uh, the gift of hair. Um, so uh, how, many of you, uh, how many of you have done um, something I grew up doing, and I'm, I'm dreaming of warmer days with this, but I, I grew up doing in Florida called tubing. Anybody go tubing? You just hop in an inner tube and float down the river. And um, one, of the, one of the things that's interesting about tubing, obviously, is that you just go wherever the river takes you. I mean, you can, like, paddle with your arms a little bit or do whatever, but, but you just kind of go along with the river. Um, and, and you just sort of drift, right? You sort of drift. Well, I did this a lot growing up. I did a lot of drifting, right? And drifting is a thing that's more, it's more than just tubing, right? Like, we, we, tend to, we tend to experience drift in a lot of areas of life. And, um, and I know that you, we've witnessed it in certain areas where something, that, um, something that's been passed down to someone else and it just drifts into becoming something that it wasn't before. Like the, the family business that dad or mom started that gets handed down and it kind of becomes something else in the next generation. Um, or maybe that, that nice house in your neighborhood with all the beautiful landscaping, but then the, the original owners move out. And, and the new folks come in, and the, the weeds kind of take over, and the lawn gets, to, gets a little brown, right? It just kind of drifts with time. Um, you know, maybe it's, as, as a parent, I thought about this, and I was like, maybe it's just anything that I give my kids, right? Like, like this nice thing, and it just isn't nice anymore. And, and we love them, but, but it's just this, this drift that takes place. I remember when I was a boy, my dad had a red truck, a red Ford truck, um, and he had put a, he, like, this was, for my dad, the red Ford truck was, like, his dream vehicle, okay? I, I'm not sure why, but that's what he wanted. He wanted a red Ford truck. He found the perfect truck. In fact, it was, it was pretty unique. It was actually a, a manual transmission. It had, like, the big, like, on the floor, like, manual transmission, and, um, and, and my dad had this red truck. He loved this truck. He would, he would tinker with it. He would make it, you know, he would put little uh, add-ons to it. And, and he, he loved this red truck. He would, he'd toss me in the back of the truck, and we'd drive, you know, all around Pinellas County, Florida. And we were, we were that family um, with, with the kids riding in the back of the red truck. And, and there were days where um, my dad would take it. He would take, take me to the park, and he would park the truck in the shade, and he would wax the truck and it just shined. It, was, it really was pretty. Okay? It was a pretty truck. And, um, and, and, and over time, um, my, my dad had the red truck. And then my grandfather, he bought a, a truck very similar to my dad's truck. When he retired, he bought this nice truck. Um, but then quickly, like, my, my grandfather, grandmother, their health was failing. And they had bought the truck to do trips. And they weren't going to do the trips. And so the next thing you know... Um, my grandfather says to my dad, he says, why don't you, why don't you take this, this newer truck that I bought, and then you can, you can sell the red truck. So that's what my dad did. So we switched from the red truck to the green truck, okay, and my dad started taking care of the green truck, and as he put, he put a for sale sign in the, in the red truck, and actually a guy in our church bought the red truck from my dad. It was, again, beautiful truck. This guy lived right around the corner from us, and so we'd see the red truck go by the house all the time. And, and, um, and, and, but we started to notice over time, right, that the red truck that was so shiny because Dad waxed it all the time, it started to get a little, you know, not so shiny. We started to notice that the, the tires that Dad kept, like, you know, 
nice and black and, you know, shiny, and they were worn, and, and they started to get, you know, the, the threadbare and the whole deal. Like, it, it just wasn't the same. And then I recall, uh, after a couple years, I was in the yard, and the red truck pulled up, and it was this guy from church, and he asked, you know, is my dad, is your dad here? I went in and got my dad. My dad came out, and they had kind of a, kind of a heated exchange because the red truck had some mechanical problems. And this guy who, who had bought the red truck and then kind of hadn't really taken care of it in the same way was upset that the truck wasn't, wasn't performing in, this, in the way that it was when he first bought it. And there was just this drift that went on, right? It just kind of like the, the red truck meant so much to my dad. It was so important to him. He took care of it. It, it was probably if, you know, later in life when he reflected on the red truck, he might have even said, like, it might have been somewhat of an idol for him, okay? But, he, but, but when it moved from my dad to the second owner, it, wasn't, it just wasn't the same. It just sort of drifted. And we're going to start a series today, okay? We're going to start a series today in the book of Colossians. If you, we, we don't, sorry, there's obviously no PowerPoint. If you've got your Bible or if your phone, you can get your Bible on there. We're going to start at the very beginning of the book of Colossians. And I talk about drift this morning because the book of Colossians is, is written, we're not, we're not 100% sure why it's written because the questions that it addresses seem to be, they seem to be within a category but, but there isn't, like, one direct question. But it, it reads like a group of people who were, who were given the gospel, they were given the truth, and they accepted it, and they became followers of Christ. But it also looks like either through, um, over time, there, there was some drift that went on, or maybe in ways that were actually kind of like like direct, there were, there were people within the body that were challenging them, or there might have been some cultural pressure for them to sort of change the message of the gospel that they accepted. They, there seem, it seems like, it reads like, it's a group of people where there's some drift that's going on. And so we want to talk about that. We want to, we, as we open up, we want to sort of acknowledge the fact that drift is real, and it not only happens with, with homes and landscaping and businesses that get passed down and, and red trucks that get sold to neighbors, but it also happens just sort of in our life, okay? Where we, we kind of, we, we, we accept something or we engage in something or something is very important to us, but then over time, we, we maybe forget the, the passion of the questions that, that led us to that belief. We maybe we for, forget what, um, the, the, the things that, that prompted us in the first place to take it so seriously. So we're going to read here the book of Colossians, and we're going to start at the very beginning, Colossians chapter 1, verse 1. If you've got it, um, read with me. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. This is a, a typical opening. There's, there's nothing super special about it. It gives us a couple clues because it, it, it reads very similar to the opening of the, book, the little tiny book of Philemon, okay? It's almost the exact same words with maybe a few little changes. So this is, this is Paul, who was, uh, was Saul, book of Acts, and, and converts to Christ when he meets Christ miraculously on the road. And, and so Paul is writing this, 
Um, and he's writing it in verse 2, it tells us, to these brothers and sisters at Colossae. Now, interesting thing. This is the only place in the Bible where the word Colossae is even mentioned, the place Colossae is mentioned. It doesn't, it's not in the book of Acts. It doesn't show up anywhere else. It's only here in verse 2 of this letter telling us who this letter is written to. So, so there's a couple things we want to understand about this group of people, okay? Um, the, the, in the city of Colossae, they, they, were, they were sort of off the beaten path, okay? They were not the center of the, the first century world. Um, a small place. It's in the sort of the hills in what is modern-day Turkey, um, then Asia Minor, but it would have been um, kind of near the, the, the region of Galatia. Um, it's it's a, about 100 miles from the, uh, from the coast in, in, in what is modern-day Turkey. Um, it is neighbored by some larger cities that do show up, Laodicea and others. Um, Paul never visited there personally, at least it's not on record. It doesn't seem like when he writes this, it seems like he's writing to a group of people he's never personally met. Um, but, but he is writing, and he's addressed. He's going to write, and he's going to address some patterns that he sees in them. We mentioned this with the drift, but it, it, because it looks like what's happened, and we're going to see another name here in just a few minutes, Epaphras. It looks like Epaphras is someone who went to Colossae, and he introduced the people there to the gospel. He introduced them to, to salvation through Christ, and they accepted it, but it also looks like a couple other things are going on. And, and one would be that you have pagan beliefs in the, in the area, in the region. So you have pagan beliefs, the beliefs of those who've never heard of Christ, that are, that are influencing the, the Christianity of the, 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 of the people of Colossae. But also, there was, there, there's, in, in the historical record, there was also a migration of many Jews because of persecu- persecution in Palestine. There was a migration of many Jews to the area and, uh, uh, here in Asia Minor or in, in what is today modern-day Western Turkey. There were a lot of, of Jews that migrated there. And so, so there's also evidence in this book that there was probably also pressure on these first-century Christians in Colossae to actually sort of combine together the message of Christ with some of the Old Testament law and the practices and, and re- the, the requirements of the law, but also some pagan practices, it looks like that you've got this sort of like soup of beliefs that's been developed in these people. And they had, they had at first vigorously accepted the gospel of Jesus, but now there's been this drift. And this, this drift in the Church of Colossae has kind of led them to adopt some ideas that, that, that aren't the true gospel. So keep reading with me. Verse 3. Verse 3, he says this. He says, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. So here's this prayer that Paul prays for him. He prays this prayer. He gives us a clue in verse 4 that he'd never met these people. He says, you know, we've heard about you, okay, since we heard of your faith, but but doesn't read as, as, as it would if perhaps Paul had met them in person. But then in verse 5, he uses this phrase. He says this, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Okay, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. And this is going to give us a clue as to, the, to everything else that Paul is going to do with the rest of these verses. He says, there's a hope that you have. There's a hope that you have, and it's laid up for you in heaven. 
There's a, there's a hope. Now, hope, we tend to, we, we talk about this around here from time to time, but we tend to think of hope as a wish. Like, I hope that this thing, thing happens, or I hope that that happens. But, but hope in the, in the New Testament context wasn't, wasn't wishful thinking. It wasn't, I wish for something. Hope was an expectation of something. It was, it was rooted in faith. It was a belief that something was going to occur because of the one who's hoped in is faithful to deliver on it. And so when, when Paul writes and he says, because of the hope of the gospel, he's saying something very specific, that you believe, you believe that God is going to deliver because of the good news of Jesus Christ, this truth that you've accepted. He said, it's come to you, it's bearing free, fruit and increasing, that they, they, they had shown growth, the people of Colossae. And he opens up with this hope of the gospel, he opens up a loop that he's going to close as he gets to the end of this section. Because he here doesn't define the hope of the gospel. He just simply says, because of it. Okay? Because of this hope. So keep reading with me. Keep reading with me in verse 9. He says this, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who's qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. So Paul, there's this prayer for him. There's this, this prayer that he goes through, and here's the fascinating thing. Verses 9 through 12, it's one sentence, okay? It's just one sentence. A lot of parts to it. A lot of things are said there, but, it's, but for Paul, it's all one thought. It's all one idea. So what we want to do is with, with our time this morning, and I promise you, I know that your, your teeth are chattering, right? So what I want to do with this time, these next few minutes, is just take a look at this, this prayer that Paul, Paul prays and ask, what, what does it have to do with the gospel? What, what does it mean? What does it say? And what is it... How does it apply to a group of people who may or may not experience the very re- reality of drift in, in, in our lives or in our belief? So, so Paul opens it up, his prayer, and, it, and, and he, he starts here in verse 9 and says, he, he prays that they would be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. He begins this prayer by asking something that, that we, we might tend to, to say, like, yeah, this makes sense, but, but do we often really recognize it? He begins the prayer by saying, be filled with knowledge. Be filled with knowledge. You see, there's something to coming to Christ. There's a reality to coming to Christ that there is knowledge that's involved. There is, there is very real knowledge, information, truth, that we have to come to in our, in our thinking that, is, that for Paul was the first step to, the, to understanding of the gospel, to, 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 to recognition of the gospel. Now, he doesn't stop there, but it begins there. And he prays that they be filled with the knowledge of his will, the his obviously meaning, meaning God's will. Now, this, this is not, in churches we tend to get hung up on the idea of God's will and what is it. And, and, and this, in this, context, it's clear that Paul's not talking about some sort of personal, individualized will for my life, as in God wants something, some one thing for me. But rather, he's referring to the notion that, that God has, has revealed his plan, he's made it plain, and, and it's his will to save mankind through the work of Christ. And so what, 
what Paul is, is saying is, he's saying, I pray for you all the time. And my prayer, my first prayer is this, that you're going to be filled with the knowledge of the salvation of God. That, that the, the message, the good news, that, that it is God who saves through, through his son Christ, that that is going to fill your thinking. That your, your, your mind isn't going to be filled with other ideas. It's going to be filled with the knowledge of God. So the first piece of this, the first step, the first thing in Paul's prayer, the first thing that to, address, to say to, to a group of people who, who we, it looks like are experiencing sort of the drift of life is this. I pray that you would be filled with the knowledge of God's will. I pray that that would be true of you. But he goes on in verse 10. So be filled with the knowledge of God's will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And then in verse 10 he says, so as to walk. Okay? So as, be filled with the knowledge so you can walk. Okay? You can walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him bearing fruit, increasing in the knowledge. Now see what he says here. Where is this, this, this drift that, that, that these people he's addressing, the prayer for them, he says, he starts with, be filled with knowledge because when your thinking is right, when your mind is right, you can now do. You can walk in a way that's worthy. So he's saying there are ideas. There's ideas from, that, that, are, that are penetrating your thinking. And you need to be filled with the knowledge of God's will. Filled with his knowledge so that you can live the right way. It's, the order of those things is important. It's important. It's, at least it's important to Paul. He says, if you think the wrong way, you won't live the right way. You understand? We can't do the right things unless we're thinking rightly about who it is that saves us and the work that he's done for us, and, and we're becoming increasingly filled with that knowledge. This is important. This is important. So he says that you walk a certain way bearing fruit. Fruit bearing is, is it's not the will of the plant to bear fruit. It's the plant being placed in the right spot, having being the roots going into the right soil, the, the, right, the right amount of, of water, the, the sunlight. It's the conditions that are right. So he begins those conditions with fill your mind with the right things. Be filled with the knowledge. And then notice where this, at the end of verse 11, okay? Oh, I'm sorry, verse 10. The end of verse 10, he says, bearing fruit in every good work and then increasing in the knowledge of God. So there's this, there's this sort of back and forth or cyclical nature to this. Ready? So we deepen our knowledge, we deepen our understanding of God, and thus live in ways that, that more closely mirror that knowledge and understanding, and that very living actually increases our knowledge. We, we then know even deeper because of our experience. See, in the, we, we use one word generally for knowledge, and in the ancient world, they had many words for knowledge, and, and they would talk an awful lot in their literature about the difference between knowing something that's a fact and knowing something through experience. In fact, the best example for us to use for this is, the, is, is in the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The word knowledge there is a Hebrew word that is experiential, that you've never, they've never experienced good and evil. And it's the same sort of thing here where he says that you can, ex, you can know in your head these things, 
and that knowledge produces a way of life. And in that way of life, you actually increase in your knowledge because now not only have you accepted information, have you, have you embraced that information, but now you actually, because of that, you actually have that experience, the way that you live because of it, you've deepened your knowledge. Your knowledge is now not only in your head, it's in your hands, it's in your feet, it's in your gut. You know it in ways that, that go beyond simple, simple facts, that go beyond definition. You've moved beyond just the grammar of faith, and you've moved into the experience of it. You can speak it because you know it. And so for Paul, for Paul, this, this movement begins with no, be filled with. And then from no, it goes to do, and doing and knowing are, are they're just two lanes on the same highway, moving in the same direction. But then he doesn't stop there. Look at verse 11. Look at verse 11. He says, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. So he moves from knowing to doing, to the third thing here is being. Now, this is where, listen, for us, uh, it, when we look at the order of these things, when we look at these sort of three pieces of this to, to, to Paul addressing the drift, I think if we're diagnosing things correctly, we want to skip to the being. We just want to skip to the being. We want to, to have all of the things that he lists there. We want to have strength and power. We want, we want to have patience and endurance. We want joy and thankfulness. We want to live like he talks about the children of inheritance. We want these things, but, but do we also often skip over the first two? Like, I want patience without necessarily doing the work of deepening my knowledge through, through understanding and then through experience. I want the being oftentimes without the knowing and the doing. I just, we treat God like he's, like he's, not, he's not divine, like he's not holy. We treat him like he's a genie. And we, we're asking him for our wishes to be granted. God, make me more patient. And he says, I'm going to set a path before you that leads to patience, to being patient. God, make me, give me endurance just give it to me. And he says, oh, I'm going to set you on a path that leads to endurance. When you, when you know the gospel, both head and gut, when you know it in experience and in, in knowledge, when you, when you have it, you'll have endurance. But it's gonna, we can't short-circuit the process. We can't just skip the knowing and the doing and go straight to the being. And oftentimes, we, I think we drift. We drift because we want all the perks of being with God without the process of walking with Him, of knowing Him, of living in accordance with His ways, of following Him. But what we find is that our being flows out of our doing. And doing is the result of knowing. And so when we look at this, we see that there's a reality in play. And the reality is that for many of us, for many of us, 
we've been introduced to God. Maybe we've, we've met him, maybe accepted him, acknowledged him, and, and, and we've walked with him, and yet the, the tide or the current at times just sort of causes us to drift in ways where we've sort of left the knowing and the doing. We've assumed that because at times I've been more patient or at times I've, I've shown some endurance that my journey of knowing and doing might be over. I've graduated from those things. But that's not what Paul says to us here. What Paul says to the people in Colossae is that this is, this is the ongoing prayer. This is the, this is the path that we walk with, with Christ. And he, so he, he closes the loop, these last couple verses. Look at verse 13. Verse 13, he says this. He says, he... He's delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. You see, the hope of the gospel, this is, there's, these are bookends. He begins with the, the hope of the gospel without defining it. And we get here to the end of this little section, this prayer. And he tells us what the hope of the gospel is. It's being delivered from darkness into light. It's being, it's being moved from chaos into, into life with meaning and purpose with Christ. It's redemption. It's the, it's the giving over of, of something that is, that, that is on its own meaningless in my life and handing it over so that, that the sin can be taken from it and it can be reborn into something that's meaningful and true and eternal in my life. It, this is the work of the gospel, and it is every bit as, as amazing and marvelous today as it was the first time I heard it. And yet my tendency is to just sort of float by, to go back to sort of the ideas of the culture around me. You know what really works is if I just apply myself a little more to, to study, or I apply myself a little bit more to my entrepreneurial pursuits, or if I just work a bit harder on those things. Or we go back to maybe the ideas that, that we'll, as we look at Colossians, we'll see down the road of maybe if I, if I, just, the, 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 if I just focus in on, on obeying the law, if I, just, if I just stop doing certain things, that that's going to, to bring me to the being in life. That's going to fulfill me. It's going to produce the satisfaction that I'm after. You see, the, once, once the spiritual battle for my soul is settled and once I've placed my faith in Christ, the, the, war, the war, the spiritual war in my life doesn't end. And I'm prone to drifting. I'm prone to wander. And Paul understood that in a group of people. He sort of heard that report and he addresses it. And he says, the reality of our redemption is every bit as true and meaningful today as the first time we encountered it. We don't graduate from it. We don't move on. We don't cross into the end zone and spike the ball and do our, our touchdown dance, and that's the end of it. We keep moving. We keep moving. And so today, a couple things. If we wonder why the being things, why am I not experiencing more of the power and patience and endurance and joy 
if I'm not, if I'm not experiencing those things, what's missing for me? What am I lacking? Is God's power less real? Is his ability to meet those needs, is it diminished? If we're to take this seriously, and there's ingredients that go into this, and there's a path that we walk, that path is about deepening knowledge and walking in a way that, that's aligned with that knowledge so that we experience it in our lives. And those things produce it. Pursuing joy, pursuing those things is not how we get them. They're byproducts of knowing and doing. Do we follow? So this is the start. This is the, this is the start. The world around us, the, 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 the world, our flesh, our enemy, the devil is going to, they're going to, other ideas will be thrown at us. At the, but the purpose of this letter, these are real people in the church of Colossae. This is a real place. They have real questions and real issues. And Paul begins this journey by saying it, it all starts with going back to the beginning, back to what you know to be true, walking in that truth. And that's going to produce the things that we're after. If you're here with us today, and, and, and that's all foreign to you, which may be some of you, if you're at home listening to this and you're not sure what this is, the gospel, we understand it here in these verses. We have sin, verses 13 and 14. We have sin that we have been forgiven because of the sacrifice of Christ. And if that's, if that's a reality that you're hearing for the first time today, we, we would love to have a further conversation with you about it. We would love to talk to you about why the things in life, these pursuits, these things like joy and patience and endurance, Christ has them to offer. Would you pray with me? Lord, we, um, we thank you. We thank you for, for the gift of salvation. We thank you for the gift of who you are. We thank you that you have um, you've moved us from darkness into light. That you've given us a new home, a new family with you. That we, um, we have an inheritance as sons and daughters of your salvation. And God, we're, we're thankful that you've done that. God, we also... Um, we also ask that you would, um, you would open our eyes, you would wake us up to the, the ways that we drift, the ways that we just go about and move through our life as if, um, as if somehow your salvation is less real today than it was before. God, be with us as we, as we begin this, as we journey through this, as we, as we walk with you and with one another and the Spirit through this time. Um, would you show us what it means to return to you? Would you show us what it means to, to know you? Would you show us the fullness of who you are? God, would you, um, would you help us to know you through, through our doing, through our, our walking with you? We, um, we thank you again, and we love you, and we praise you. And it's because of Christ that we pray. Amen.